You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. So the title of the lesson today is Dying to be Fruitful. Woo! Come on. So we want to be fruitful. We want to, we want to be successful in our life as, as Christians. Yes. We want to be living the way that God wants us to live. Mm. And so... I want to keep it simple. And basically, I've got three things that I want to talk to you guys about. I have one thing that will kill your fruitfulness. Don't do it. And I have two things that are essential, required for fruitfulness. Not like, hey, do this and it'll help you to be more fruitful. It's like, that would be nice. No, no. If you don't do this, you can't be fruitful. It doesn't work that way. And so, point number one, what will kill your fruitfulness? Gossip. Woo! Come on. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Crack it open. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 14. Okay. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So, you you might think to yourself, oh, well, why are you talking about bitterness? You just said you're going to talk about gossip. But you cannot uh, gossip if you're not bitter. You never see, like, a a happy gossip. Someone's like, hey, get get this one. This is great. Like, they might say it with a smile on their face, but it's actually because they're they're bitter inside. Or they might think, oh, maybe it's not not gossip. It's just envy. You just want other things. Well, envy, you can't be envious if you're not bitter. That's why you hear sometimes people say, oh, yeah. Bitter envy, Whoa. but it's kind of like it just—it's a given already. You're just like really driving in how bitter this person is. Like I know, like you need to normally be bitter to be envious, but this person's like bitter envious. He's really, really bitter. And bitterness—it it will take you out because the Bible here it says that um, to to watch out, yeah. to not let a bitter root grow up. Wow. So we we see you think of weeds. And weeds, uh, you, you, can, you can cut weeds, but they keep growing back. Why? Because there's a root. And you can't see the root. It's deep down in the, in the ground. And this is the way the bitterness works in our heart, is that we, when we have a root of bitterness in our heart, it grows up. And then you deal with the surface things. You deal with this, you deal with that. But then it keeps growing back. And it, keeps, it actually continues to get worse and worse. And the thing about bitterness is that it says, it, watch out that it, it doesn't cause trouble. When you're bitter, you cause problems. Whoa. And it says it de- defiles many. So the problem with bitterness is that it's contagious. It spreads. Mm. So if you have a bitter root in your heart, you're going to pass that on to other people's hearts. Mm. And sometimes like it, you do it intentionally. Like You're bitter and like you want other people to be bitter with you. It's like, man, I just, I'm miserable. I want, I'm, I'm, misery loves company, yeah. right? That's the, that's the way that the saying goes. And so sometimes you, you intentionally try to make other people bitter. Mm-hmm. But other times, we can be deceived. We can think, hey, I've dealt with the surface level of the bitterness, but there's still that root there. Yeah. And without realizing it, we pass on that bitterness to other people. 
And so this is so, this is so important that we really deal with this. Because it says to, to be holy, to be set apart. So the, the world deals with bitterness. Sometimes, especially in London, people can wear it like a jacket. It's like, ooh, I love my bitterness. Ooh, it's nice and warm. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, boy. And they, 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 it's, it's almost it's cool to be bitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's cold. Oh, yeah, oh, this is terrible. Um, but the thing is, is that when, when we're bitter, it says that we're not holy, we're not set apart. And the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So bitterness stops us from seeing God. It blocks our relationship with God. And so we, we can't have this. There's no way that we're going to be fruitful if we can't see God. If we don't have any type of connection with God, we can't, we can't be fruitful. And so we have to deal with bitterness. Bitterness is the roots. And it takes its form in gossip. Let's go in the Bible to Proverbs chapter 18. Come on. Somebody shared this with me, and I laughed. I was like, oh, this is a great one. Again, I said, man, I'm going to use that sometime. And now's the time when I'm using it. Today's that day. <laughs> Proverbs 18 and verse 8. The Bible says this. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. And you, when, when gossip, you, you gossip, it does actually feel good a little bit. Is that you're, you're bitter, and the way that you deal with your bitterness is by gossiping. And it feels good. And when, we, when you hear gossip, it feels good too. You're like, oh yeah, it's a choice, tasty morsel. It tastes so good. I want more of them. I want them to go inside. But the thing is, is that sometimes things that taste good on the way down don't actually feel good. Mm. Yep. So um, our dear sister Claudia, she, she's feeling this right now. And yeah. that she, she had a great meal last night, it tasted good, and now she's sick. Mm. She, she, didn't, she didn't know. And it's, it's sometimes that's what can happen is that when we're around other bitter people, we can, without realizing it, get sick ourselves. Yeah. And poor, poor Claudia, we're praying for her to get uh, well again. Yes. Yeah. But sometimes, we know that a person's bitter. Sometimes we know that they're doing, they're, they're spreading gossip, but we still want to hear it a little bit because those tasty little morsels, we, we want them. Yeah. And it reminds me of a, of a time when I was in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, you get really great uh, street food. It's very cheap, very tasty. And, but street food, you gotta be careful because sometimes street food can be hit or miss. And you're, the general kind of like rules that you want to do is that anything uh, grilled or like cooked over an, over an open fire is going to be safe. So so we, we have these delicious things called like uh, satay sticks. So it's the chicken, you roast it over the, the open coals, and it's a delicious peanut butter sauce. And it's great. You wash and cook it, it's great. Tastes great. You're fine every time. But you want to stay away from anything liquid. Because if it's liquid, you don't know where the liquid's coming from. You don't know what type of water is going into that. Yeah. So they have, uh, they have like uh, soups, where it's like, they call it bakso, and it's, you stay away from the bakso. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> because it can sometimes be hit or miss, so you just stay away from that. But then, they have these, uh, these little ice creams, these like homemade ice cream things. And they're frozen. And so I was with a friend, 
And he was saying like, oh, like it's ice cream. It's gonna be, it's gonna taste great. I was like, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and he's like, what? It's fine. It's like, it's like, no, no, no. Just trust me. It's like anything, anything cooked, you're good. Anything liquid, it's, it's not good. And he's like, oh, but it's fine, it's fine, it's not liquid, it's, it's ice cream, it's solid. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but once upon a time, it was liquid. <laughs> and it's like, hey, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, nothing will happen. And he, he gets the ice cream, and he's eating the ice cream. And he's like, oh, this ice cream tastes so good. Colby, don't you want some of the ice cream? I'm like, no, I don't, no, thank you. And he's eating it, it's a nice hot day, he eats it all, he loves it. Ooh, that was so good. And then we go home. <laughs> the next morning, Oh, where's my friend? He was locked in the bathroom. Wow. Because he had explosive diarrhea. Wow. It was so bad. Oh gosh. <laughs> because he got sick from this horrible ice cream. I told him not to take it. He did it anyway. He thought he knew better. And it tasted good on the way down. But then had horrible, horrible consequences yeah. afterwards. And that's how gossip is. Gossip, it tastes good on the way out. It makes you feel good. If you're sharing gossip, it makes you feel good. If you're hearing gossip, it makes you feel good. But what it's going to do is going to produce a bitterness inside of you. It's going to either, if you're the one sharing the gossip, it's going to grow the bitterness. It's going to make it worse. Or if you're the one hearing the gossip, it's going to pollute your heart. It's going to contaminate you. It's going to make your insights all sick. And it's going to have horrible, horrible consequences for you and everyone else around you. And so, what is, it, what is the principle here that's very simple, is number one, don't gossip. Yeah. If, if you're gossiping, or if you're even tempted to gossip, the first thing you got to say is, oh, I'm bitter. i got to deal with this bitterness. And so, you want to gossip? Okay, don't gossip. Go deal with the bitterness. And I think most of us get this. This is, this is not new information to most of us here. But what I want to also drive home is that don't listen to the gossip. Because what sometimes people can think is that, like, hey, I'm not gossiping. Like, I know don't gossip, but I'm going to just listen to the gossip. But what I want you guys to understand is that listening to gossip is just as bad as gossiping. Yeah. It's going to have the same consequences for your spiritual health, for your spiritual well-being. And both of these things are going to really take you out. It's going to block you from being fruitful in your life and doing the things that you want to do. So this is my, my first point, my first challenge, is that don't gossip, deal with your bitterness, and don't listen to someone that's gossiping. Tell them, hey, you need to deal with your bitterness, because you're going to take yourself out, and you're going to take the people around you out as well. Are you with me, guys? Yeah, yeah. come on, bro. So we covered what we don't want to do. Don't gossip, don't be bitter. It's going to make you unholy, separate you, or it's going to block you from seeing God. But what do we got to do to be fruitful? Yes. So... Last week, I talked about having the heart of, a, heart of Jesus versus the heart of a, uh, a Pharisee. Yeah. And we see the heart of Jesus is one of humility. Mm. And this is so key for us. Why is this so key? Because it's so difficult. Is that uh, when I get together for, for D times, it's always like almost every time. It's like, bro, you're prideful. You need to be more humble. You're right. Okay. And so this is something that I struggle with a lot. And I know if I struggle with it, other people struggle with it too. And so the, the first thing that we need to be fruitful is we need to be humble. And so let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Okay. I know I read this last week, but sometimes you just need to hear the same thing over and over again yeah. to really get it to go deep into your heart. I mean, am I right, church? Yeah. Yes, you are, bro. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2. 
Because I love Philippians. Philippians is, is the happy book in uh, the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, what was Christ Jesus' mindset? It's going to say, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, we talked last week about having this humility, humility with God, understanding it, but also having humility with one another. And the thing that I want to, again, same scripture, but I want to highlight a slightly different point here, is Jesus' humility to do what he did not want to do. It was very powerful what Daniel shared in, a, in the communion speech about Jesus, he didn't want to die on the cross. It was, uh, the cross was reserved for the worst criminals. Mm. It was the worst form of execution. It was, in fact, a Roman citizen could not be crucified. It was so horrible. It was only reserved for the barbarians. And the crucifixion was done as a warning. It was a form of humiliation. You don't want to be like this person. Don't do what they did. Whatever you do, don't do that. And so this is what Jesus knew he was going for. He knew what was going to happen. And as we know that in, the, in the account of the, the Passion account, that Jesus wasn't just crucified. Mm. But before that, we have all the lead up. We have him being taken to uh, the Sanhedrin, being publicly mocked, humiliated there, then being taken before Pilate. Then he was uh, flogged before Pilate, which we know that most, uh, most people that were crucified were not flogged. And Jesus knew all of this was going to happen to him. He knew what was waiting for him, but he still chose to do it. Mm. And it goes on, he says um, in, verse, uh, in verse 8, says, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm. I think just the thing that I really want to point out is just how humiliating it would have been for Jesus on the cross. How terrible it would have been. But Jesus accepted that. He had the humility. It says that even though he was God, he, he didn't use his uh, position of being equal with God to his advantage. But instead, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So what does this mean for us? For us, when it comes to being fruitful, we need to do the things that we don't want to do. So God is not asking any of us today to go be publicly humiliated, beaten with an inch of your life, and then hang on a wooden cross for several hours yep. before you die. None of us are being given that, that challenge. That's right. The, the challenge for us are so small in comparison. The things that, the things that, the, that we find difficult are so incredibly minuscule when we compare them to the cross. So what is that? Waking up early to come to church. What is that? Going out and sharing your faith and facing rejection. Because it's difficult to share your faith. It's difficult to face rejection yeah. and to people to say harsh words to you, to be unkind, to, to do these things. That is difficult. But it's not as difficult as going to the cross. Right. right. Uh, staying up extra late to be in that other Bible study 
Yeah, that's difficult. You're going to be tired the next day for work. But that's not as difficult as going to the cross. And I think no matter what we look at, it's minuscule in comparison to Jesus dying on the cross. And so in the same way that Jesus had that humility of accepting what God wanted for his life, we need to have the same humility. We need to really accept what God says, what God has for our life, and have the humility to be like, you know what, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to do what God says for my life, and then because of that, God's going to bless me. Because he goes on to talk about uh, Jesus being exalted, just as I shared last week. That if we really want to be raised up, to be used by God, we need to have the humility and the obedience to accept what God wants us to do. So, when, uh, before I worked in the, before I was in the ministry, I was a teacher, and I worked for a school, an international school in Indonesia, and uh, I worked as a coach. I coached a lot of different sports, and uh, the sport that I'm thinking of is basketball. Yeah. And we love basketball. Do we have any basketballers in the house? Ballers! Yeah. Ballers! Yeah. Uh, I love basketball. It's this great, amazing, amazing sport. And uh, I love to coach basketball. Because basketball, it's, it's a great sport. It's so technical. There's so many aspects about it. There's so much strategy and planning and plays and things. And so uh, I was given the, the junior varsity team. And I was like a middle school team. But the thing about these middle schoolers is that they were like big. They were they were big, they were talented, they were athletic. And I was like, wow, this is like a really good team. And I had this guy, his name was Kenneth. And Kenneth was just a boss, he really was. He, he, he came and he started at the very beginning of the year and he was a little bit like quiet because his English wasn't good. But I, I worked with him a little bit in, in class and stuff and his English improved. And after that, he was just like Mr. Cool. He had like a super like razor fade and then the long hair on top. That he went into little top knots and uh, he loved it. He would walk around with his sunglasses like even inside like he was still talking sunglasses. <laughs> and he was just Mr. Cool. And Kenneth was just like a monster athlete. He was like so strong and so fast and he had like such a dominating presence. Uh, I first started coaching Kenneth in futsal. And he was so good at futsal. He was just a natural athlete. He was incredible. Um, he would start against other people older than him because he was just better. And he never played basketball before, but I was like, bro, you're like, you're such a good athlete, you're gonna pick it up in no time. So I was coaching Kenneth and telling him what to do. And uh, I would tell him, okay, here you just work on your ball handling and uh, go, for, go for layups, because you're way faster than everyone else. You can just beat people with your athleticism, with your speed, with your, with your strength, just drive on hard to, to the hoop going for a layup. And Kenneth would go, and he would, uh, I would keep telling him, like, put your head up, put your head up. And, but he would, every time he would get the ball, he'd be like. <laughs> and he really wanted to shoot threes. But the problem is with threes that it takes a lot of practice. And you don't just wake up one morning and be able to shoot threes. So he would get the ball, he would shoot, do, 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 and then like shoot a three. And it would feel like air ball, it would feel crazy and stuff. And I would get frustrated with it. It's like, Kenneth, just like, just, just use what you're good at. Like, just accept the, the coaching that I'm giving you. Um, you're gonna score a lot of points. It's gonna be good. But he just he went here. He wanted to be the type of player that he wanted to be. Mm. Now, another guy was a guy called David. Now, uh, David is possibly the, the complete opposite of Mr. Cool. Right. He was big and lanky and like 
super, super white. Like, not, it wasn't just white, but he was like super duper white. And he really uncoordinated and all of these things. And I, I first saw, like, Kenneth, I saw him and I was like, oh yeah, you're gonna be a beast. And I saw David and I was like, what am I gonna do with you? <laughs> and we started, we started going and David, he just had a great heart. He just, he wanted, he came, he would come early, he would just, just go for it and things. And uh, because he was really tall, he was like a lot taller than other people. Mm. I was like, actually, like, this guy's got some stuff going for him. And I was like, okay, I just put him under. I was like, okay, let me teach you how to box out, how to go for rebounds. And uh, he, it actually started to, to work out a lot better. And uh, David, he wasn't, he couldn't, he could barely catch the ball. He definitely couldn't dribble. He couldn't shoot unless he was two feet away from the hoop. But I just told him, I was like, okay, you just gotta just be a big man, stand right under the hoop, catch the rebounds on defense, catch the offensive rebounds on, on offense, and just put it straight in. And he did that. He would just stand there, just, just stand right underneath the hoop, <laughs> hands up, catch it, put it in. And as it turned out, David, who I thought was not gonna be good at all, just started scoring a lot of points. And he started doing really, really well. And Kenneth plateaued. And he wouldn't grow anymore. Because Kenneth wanted to be the type of player that he thought of himself as. But David was willing to accept, okay, this is who I am. You're telling me what to do, so I'm gonna accept it and I'm gonna do that. And so in the, in the basketball uh, court, David ended up being a lot more fruitful. He started, he scored more baskets, yeah. but Kenneth didn't because he wanted to do it his own way. And I think this is the same way with us, wow. is that when we approach our evangelism, we want to do it on our terms. Yeah. And we want to, especially if it's not working, because uh, it's, it's so it doesn't make any sense. So like Kenneth, he would do the same thing every single time, and he wouldn't score any more baskets. He would just do the same thing, and like maybe every once in a while, like maybe like once a game, he would score like this random like three pointer, and then he that would justify himself to continue doing the things that he wanted to do because every now and then he would be successful. Yeah. Whereas David, he had the humility to really to to accept what he needed to do to really be successful on the basketball court, and because of that, he was very very successful, and he was a great player. And so for us. We need to really accept the person that God wants us to be. And not to try and define ourselves to God. And say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm this type of person, or I'm that type of person, or I'm, I'm this, this is how my evangelism works, or that's how my evangelism works. But we just really need to just accept who God says that we are, and to really to get our identity, to get our direction from the Bible. Not from our own intellect, or from our own talent. And so, my challenge for you guys is to really to go back to a simplistic faith. Mm. Mm. This is what David had. He had a very simplistic game. Stand underneath the basket. When the ball falls, you catch it, you put it in. Yeah. It was so simple, but it worked. And the problem is that sometimes in our evangelism, we can complicate it. We can make it way more difficult, way more complicated than it needs to be. So I want to challenge us to get back to a simplistic faith. What does a simplistic faith look like? It looks like going out once a week, sharing. But then, we're doing that. I know we're, not, I know we're doing that. I know we're sharing. But then we got to follow up. Because yeah. so, that's, the, that's the more difficult part, is the follow-up. Yeah. It's easy to go out, you share, you share your faith for an hour, a couple hours, you meet a bunch of people, it's great. 
But then if you don't do anything, the job's not done yet. Right. So I want to challenge us this week, go sharing for an hour or more if you want to. Get your contacts, but then follow up with all of them. And then invite them to come to Bible talk, invite them to come to church. Yes, come on. If we start doing that, we're going to have a much more uh, a much more effective evangelism. We're going to have more visitors at Bible talk. We're going to have more visitors at um, more visitors at service as well. But uh, it comes back down to again the simplistic evangelism. Yeah. Simple, not overthinking it, but then consistent. We've got to persevere. We've got to keep doing it. So I don't have to do it just once. We've got to do it week after week after week. Are you with me, guys? Yes. Awesome. So, the first thing we got to do is we got to be humble, just simple, accept God's direction for our life. But then what do we need to do? We need to die. So, what does it look like for us to die? Let's go to John chapter 12. Come on. I was reading this passage to someone and they were asking uh, what the context was for this. So I'll give you guys a little bit of, of lead up to it, but you'll see that the context is quite, uh, is quite funny. So in John chapter 12, uh, we want to read verse 23, but we'll start in verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was with Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. So they said, We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, Andrew and Philip, and turned to Jesus. So people are like, Hey, we want to go see Jesus. That's the context. And then this is like no like prep or anything for Jesus. Jesus comes straight out and he says this. Jesus replied, like, what did he reply to? Hey, we want to see you. So <laughs> they was like, hey, we want to see you. And Jesus says this. He said, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, this this has got to be pretty shocking. You imagine it's like, hey, we want to meet Jesus for the first time. He's like, hey, we want to meet you, Jesus. And Jesus says this, hey, you better die. That's intense. That's a hard line. But that's what Jesus did. Because Jesus was saying, he says, the hour has come. He knew that he was about to go to the cross. And he was explaining it to people. Because people didn't understand even after Jesus died on the cross, they didn't understand. Jesus had to come back, raise from the dead, and explain, them, explain to them what he actually did. But what Jesus is saying, he's using an agricultural analogy, saying that you've got a, a grain of wheat, and you put the grain in the ground, and the grain dies. But because of that, it grows and produces a great harvest. Mm. And what we see in, in Jesus' life, he's talking about uh, dying. We know Jesus died. But what was the result? Of Jesus dying. We're going to see in Acts chapter 2. Come on. So we get a little bit of context in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So Peter here is about to give the greatest sermon in all history. 
And in his sermon, he breaks down that Jesus had to come, he had to die, and then he goes again how Jesus raised from the dead. And he uses all of these scriptures from the Old Testament to prove this. And after he's given this amazing, convincing proof of who Jesus is, what he did, he goes on in verse 36. He says, Therefore that all is will be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Jesus dies, and what happens? Because of his death, 3,000 people get baptized in one day. I don't know about you guys, but I've never had anyone get baptized, or I've never had 3,000 people get baptized because of anything I've done. <laughs> and really, the, we, we talk about the 3,000, but really, everyone that get baptized is because of Jesus' death. Yes. And, and we see this so clearly with Jesus, is that Jesus laid his life down. And because of that self-sacrifice, because of that humility, God blessed that to now Jesus being abundantly fruitful. How does this work in our own life? For us to really be effective in terms of our evangelism, we need to be willing to lay down our life. Mm. So Jesus talks about love. We talk about to love people, we need to be self-sacrificing. We need to lay down our lives. But what I want to try and share with you guys is that for us to be fruitful, we need to be willing to lay down our lives. In that we can't be effective evangelistically when we're focused on ourselves. This is, again, where the humility comes in. Because if we're focused on ourselves and what we want to do, we're never going to be willing to die for uh, evangelism. It's only when we have the humility to accept what God says for us that we're going to be willing to accept, oh, right, you know what, I guess i got to die. i got to really lay down my life every single day in order to be fruitful. Mm. I think um, in... in any type of story, anytime you look at somebody getting baptized, you dig a little bit deeper, you look into the details, you see people being incredibly self-sacrificing. You see people laying down their life. You see people going the extra mile. You see them staying up late. You see them waking up early. You see them traveling across uh, town to, to really to help a person get baptized. And I think a person that I really want to lift up is Michael Oshawa. Incredible. I love Michael so much. And the truth is, Michael's a sinner, just like all of us. And uh, you, you won't be surprised to hear that. And when you look at Michael's life last year, in 2016, Michael was not fruitful. Why? Because he was focused on himself. He was preoccupied with his, with his health, with his job, with the things that he wanted to do. He was totally inwardly focused. And you can, you can go and you can talk to him about what that produced in him. That produced a lack of fruitfulness. It produced uh, uh, even like a, a bitterness at times when you're focused in on yourself. Mm. But the thing about Michael is that he's a disciple. 
And when you when you take a real disciple and you point out their sin and you challenge them to repent, they repent. Yeah. And Michael has repented, and 2017 is a totally different year. Yeah. You see, Michael, he's leading the way in evangelism. Yeah. He's leading the way in going out, sharing his faith, yeah. in bringing people out, bringing guests out, yeah. and really even going out with his with his own family. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are about to witness an incredible miracle. Yeah. But that miracle is because of Michael's faith. But more than his faith, because of his self-sacrifice, yeah. because he was willing to not think about himself, to not focus on his own life, yeah. but the life of someone else. Right. He considered that someone else was more important than him. Somebody else's his life, somebody else's salvation yeah. was more important than his own personal desires, his own personal wants. And because of that, we have George here today. And George is about to get back Yeah, come on. But the thing is, is that if it's only myself, if it's only Rebecca, if it's only Michael that we're willing to do this, we're going to have minimal fruit. We will be fruitful. We will, because of uh, the Bible says that if you put these things in practice, you will bear much fruit. Yeah. But it's going to be very limited because we can't do it all ourselves. Yeah, right. It has to be all of us. All of us have to live the life of a disciple and be willing to lay down our life every single day. To not focus on our own personal wants, our own personal desires, but to think of what other people want. Yeah. To be willing to lay down our lives to every single day in terms of our time, in terms of our energy, in terms of our emotion, even our finances. To really to focus on other people, other people above ourselves. So my practical challenge for us is that, uh, again, simplistic faith. Simplistic in terms of, let's go out, share, follow up from sharing. And then from that, set up a Bible study. Take a second and look around at the room. Yeah, all of you. Look around the room. Look around the room. So this room is great. We have lots of people in this room. And the great thing about that is if everyone set up one Bible study this week, how many Bible studies would that be? Bears. How many Bible studies would that be? Forty. Yeah, 40 Bible studies in a week. <coughs> That's like six a day. That'd be incredible, guys. But the only way that's going to happen is not by sitting here talking about it. It's by us going out and actually laying down our lives. Actually doing these things that we're talking about. And so my challenge for us is to go and to set up a Bible study. Everyone is here. And look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. Say, I'm going to keep you accountable. Okay? Say, I'm gonna check. Listen, listen, listen. I'm gonna check that you set up a Bible study. Okay? Now we gotta actually do it. Amen? So we don't want to be liars. Because life's going to hell. That's what the Bible says. So, we want to keep ourselves accountable. We want to keep each other accountable. Because if we do this, if we're willing to die, we'll be fruitful. And with this, this is my charge. I love you guys. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk.
That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot UK. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.